0: Body. 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 Boxing Podcast. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Body Shots Boxing Podcast. I'm Ronald McIntosh, boxing commentator for the BBC and our exclusive special guest on this edition is a man whose sporting story is as fanciful as a feel-good film from the silver screen.
1: I played in an FA Cup semi-final myself. When I first put on the pair of gloves I was ranked 147th in Britain out of 147th. I was there on merit because I was the worst, you know, I'm not going to lie. So to then to be crowned British champion
0: just meant everything. Curtis Woodhouse, with a succinct summary of his extraordinary accomplishments in two professional sports, we will hear of the adversity overcome and the emotion involved in one of the most remarkable sports stories of recent times, as Curtis Woodhouse speaks exclusively with the Body Shots Boxing Podcast. Podcast. Curtis Woodhouse was living out a boyhood dream as a million-pound professional footballer in the glamorous Premier League. But, disillusioned and dispirited, he walked away from football, turned to boxing, and, against all the odds, became British champion. It sounds like a movie script, but as Woodhouse has noted, Rocky's made up. This is for real. I began our conversation by asking Curtis Woodhouse the obvious question. Just begin by telling us, why would a guy who's dedicated his entire life to football walk away from the money and security that exists in that sport, to try his hand at a sport where he has no experience, and he's starting at the very bottom rung of the ladder in the toughest sport of all. Why? Why boxing?
1: Yeah, good question. <laughs> when you put it like that, I ask myself why. Um, but yeah, but it was just something that I was always, I always wanted to do. You know, I was passionate about boxing. I loved boxing as a kid. And you know, if if I haven't hadn't have fallen out of love with football, then there's no way I'd have been a professional football uh, boxer. I'd still be playing football now. Um, but slowly but surely over the years you know the love and passion that I had for the game of football slowly was leaving me and I didn't just want to carry on playing for the money because I had no no love for the game anymore so I had no reason why I was playing so I was scratching around for something that I was passionate about and the only other thing that I was passionate about was, was boxing so on a crazy afternoon I decided I was going to um, hang my boots up and put
0: the gloves on and, and kind of join this crazy world that, that we are in boxing. When you made that decision what was the reaction of people around you, those who you knew from football, and those who you were going to get to know in boxing? What was the reaction from both communities, the football community and the boxing business, when you said, "Curtis Woodhouse, million-pound footballer, and I'm going to try my hand at professional boxing"?
1: I think that both um, both sides treated me exactly the same. They both laughed. Um, you know, all, all my footballing friends and you know old colleagues were kind of trying to talk me out of it, saying, listen, come on, have one one more go, trying to find the passion back, don't, you'll regret this for the rest of your life. You're still 26, you're young, I was coming into the prime, physical prime of my footballing life, as they tell me. Um, And they were all trying to talk me out of it. And kind of the people in the boxing world were kind of treating me like they, who the hell do you think you are coming into our game? You know, pretty much, you know, I found it quite funny when, um, Freddie Flintoff made his, um, made his boxing debut um, last year or, or whenever it was because, you know, a lot of people were saying to him, kind of, get out of our sport, you know, and I kind of felt like I know how he feels because I've, I've been there myself and, and that's how I was treated, kind of like, not, you're not really welcome. That, that's how I, the reception I got from, from most boxing people was that I wasn't welcome in their exclusive gang type of thing. So, yeah, it was difficult because, you know, football people thought I was crazy and boxing people didn't really want me there. So, yeah, it
0: was a tough transition. If you were struggling for motivation and desire in football, in football, if you don't have those qualities, in an 11-a-side match, if you're not really feeling it, you can perhaps hide a little bit. But in this sport, the ultimate sport that there is, one-on-one inside a boxing ring, if motivation and desire aren't near, you're gonna get found out pretty quickly. So what convinced you that those intangibles that were missing in football would be present in the sport of boxing where they are so crucial?
1: Yeah, well, I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether it was just um, football I'd lost passion for, or life itself that I'd lost passion for. I wasn't sure, so I, I can't really can't really say I was definitely sure that I was gonna you know, be passionate about it. I I didn't know, Um, but I just knew it wasn't there for football. It could have been anything that I went to after football. Um, It just so happened that I chose boxing. It could have been anything. Um, I just needed to do something that that wasn't football because I'd I'd just completely fallen out of love with it. And I, I used to absolutely adore football as a kid. Every given moment, just wanted to play the game. Um, And as much as I loved it back as a kid, that's how much I hated it towards the end. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that it couldn't be football anymore. Um, And like I said, I I gave boxing a go. As soon as I got in the gym, uh, you know, I knew that it was... Because I wasn't very good helped me because it meant that I had to work really hard. So the answers, I'm going to dedicate myself to it? it, came pretty early because I had to go twice a day, every single day, Saturdays, Sundays. I had to go because I wasn't very good. Um, so after a couple of couple of weeks, I, I kind of know. Listen, this ain't for me. But I stuck with it, even though I wasn't very good. But I knew the dedication was there. It's just a case of whether I was going to have the talent to be able to succeed or not. But the dedication I knew pretty early on was going to be there.
0: If you weren't very good, and you're starting at the very bottom rung with no amateur experience, what kept you coming back through the door? When an ocup- occupational hazard in this sport is getting punched on the nose, what kept you coming back?
1: Yeah, um I wasn't very good. And like I said, the only way you learn in boxing is through getting punched in the face. um You can do all the bags, pads, and everything you like, but the only way you, I believe you get better is by getting in there and sparring. Um, when I w- first walked into Dave Caldwell's gym, there was Ryan Rhodes and Kel Brook in the gym, that I think Ryan was a British and European champion, and Kel was a British champion. So you can understand I had no f- I'd had one fight actually, and. Um, I was absolutely, so far off because I wanted to be a British champion so then when I got in and with them guys that's when I realised how far away from being a British champion I was um, so yeah it, it was difficult I'm not going to lie to you I've had some dark moments when I felt like walking away um, questioned myself am I going to be be able to do this have I made the biggest mistake of my life but I just stuck with it you know and probably a, a big a big thing for me why I stuck with it is because everybody told me I couldn't do it I'm stubborn like that you know, you tell me I can't do something, I want to prove to you I can. And because people wrote me off so much at the beginning, boxing fans, football fans, fellow fighters said I had no chance, probably what kept me going back. You know, if everyone had a university accepted me and showed me love straight from the off, I maybe wouldn't have succeeded. But because I had such hardship and nobody kind of wanted me there, you know, kind of get out of our game type of attitude, I'm stubborn, I've got a big ego, and I just wanted to say, right, I'll show you a lot. Um, so that's probably what made me come back.
0: Obviously, you're the British champion now, but at what point did you begin to feel like a boxer and not a former footballer?
1: <sighs> not for a good few years, I've got to admit. Probably two, three years in, I, I probably said I was just starting to feel comfortable. I felt like I could kind of get in and spar with anyone. You know, obviously, I know you've got the big gloves and the headguards on, so it's not as brutal as what a fight is, but I just started to feel that I was comfortable in the ring. Whereas when I first got in there, everything felt. I didn't really know where I was, and there were certain shots that I couldn't really throw. It took me probably three years before I felt like I knew my way around the boxing ring and I could kind of not hold my own because that's, I, I didn't hold my own, but I was competent enough to not get severely beat up every time I got in the ring. You know, I'd probably say three, first three years, there's not anybody that got in the ring and sparred with me that didn't give me a good going over. So I'd probably say three years before I could. Maybe win around inspiring. <laughs> not, not not dominate a spar, probably just win around.
0: It's incredible determination and dedication you showed to keep coming back when you are taking those type of licks inspiring on a daily basis. But what ambition had you set for yourself given how far back you started? You said there was a desire to be British champion. How much was that a pipe dream and how much was that a realistic goal during those early days when you were learning the trade?
1: It was 100% a pipe dream, but when I was 10 years old, I said I was going to be a professional footballer. That's a pipe dream. How many 10-year-olds say they want to be a professional footballer? Every one of them. My son himself, he's 10 years old. I said to him, what do you want to be? So he said, I want to be a professional footballer, Daddy. I'm like, so does everybody. What are you doing different to everybody else? It gives you that extra 10% that's going to make it. You know. So it was a pipe dream, but life's a pipe dream when people call me deluded i take it as a compliment you know they think they're trying to talk me down when people say oh you're deluded um, i'm like good that's how winnings done that's how great things are achieved by deluded people you know so i was deluded and i was deluded as a 10 year old and i was deluded as a 26 year old when i said i wanted to become british champion but i got there you know and i got there at 10 when i was a 10 year old by saying i was going to be a professional footballer and also, as well, having a big ego, it's not always a bad thing, you know, as long as you channel that ego in the right. It's not a big enough ego to think that I know everything, but I've got a big enough ego to kind of put myself out there and say, you know what, I'm going to be a professional footballer. You know what, I'm going to become British champion. If I don't get there, I'll die trying, you know. I always believe you've got to aim as high as you possibly can and put yourself out there to fail. Put yourself out there for people to ridicule you. Because you know, if you don't, you ain't going to achieve anything.
0: When you again, made the decision to switch from football to boxing. You said that you had fallen out of love with football. Can't really put your finger on why, but could you just elaborate how the loss of passion for the game manifested itself? How did it affect you and your performances on the football pitch?
1: Yeah, it was was really difficult. Um, All I ever wanted to be was a professional footballer. All the way back, everyone, everyone says, oh, you know, did you like boxing as a young kid? Yeah, I liked boxing. I liked cricket. I liked tennis. I liked golf, but I loved football. You know, there wasn't enough hours in the day. As soon as I woke up in the morning I wanted it to be John Barnes, I'd just go my ball under my hand, packet of crisps, and I was gone for the day. Used to come back in when it was dark. Used to play football all day long. Absolutely loved it. All the way up until I was probably, I'd say sixteen, the passion was, you know, it was there. Even seventeen, it was still there. Eighteen, still there. Nineteen, still there. Twenty, going. Twenty one, going. 22 gone, and so it's it's crazy. And like I said, it's so difficult to to kind of pinpoint any one thing that made it disappear. But the one thing that that hit me so hard and found so difficult was that 17, 18 years old, something came into my life that I'd never ever experienced before, never even thought about growing up as a kid that would affect me the way it did. And that was money. Um, you got financial rewards for being a professional footballer. I signed my first big contract at 17. All of a sudden, I was in a position to pretty much do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. Um, So instead of doing the extra session, like I tell my 10-year-old boy now to do, to give you that extra 10% to make it, if I had a choice between going to the gym or going to a bar, I'd go to the bar, um, or I'd go on a party or a night out with the lads, and all of a sudden, what got me there in the first place, I'd neglected. And that just, over time, slowly and surely, because I could never get to the level that I believed I should be at, difficult it's like it's fighter. you see a fighter you know that well past their peak and probably struggling for passion when they're fighting a six-rounder way down the card and they used to fight in championship fights and they're not the same fighter and that's why I was as a footballer
0: and it was money and and that that took my half the ball but in such a short space of time is that what happened but from by the time you're 22 the passion had gone and you were at Rock bottom, as you put it.
1: Yeah, it was over for me. It was over at probably 22. I left Sheffield United. I think at 21, the worst thing I ever did. Looking back at my career, I should never have left. I should have stayed. But um, I'd only ever known Sheffield United, and I loved that that club. You know, I loved everyone there, the fans, everything. I loved the club, and I naively thought every football club was going to be the same. I moved. I went to Birmingham City. Just couldn't. I couldn't get the hunger back for the game. Um, And I really struggled and then I think I went from Birmingham City, I didn't play for, I had a year out. Um, Just didn't want, I had no passion whatsoever. Barry Fry rang me up and asked me to go to Peterborough United. Went to Peterborough, started well, but just like I said, the passion could never get it back and probably going to Peterborough was the best thing that happened to me because that's when I met Gary DeRue, former British champion, I think at Super Featherweight. I was just getting in so much trouble in Peterborough on the training ground. Anybody that annoyed me, I would just want to fight them. because I was just angry at what I, what how my life would turned out. How the hell did I end up at Peterborough United when, you know, only two years ago I was playing in the Premiership? I'm thinking, what's, what's going on here? Um, so I got introduced to Gary Deruijts to do a little bit of blow a bit of steam off, kind of say a bit of bit bag work, pad work, you know, with, with with Gary. And as soon as I started doing that, then I wanted to. Um, see what this sparring's like, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden I started sparring and I got the bug. So it, it's difficult. It took me a long time to get over what happened to me as a footballer because I just had so much, you know, um, hatred towards the game. It took me a while to get over it. But I'm back in love with the game now because football's taken me places as a young kid and never even dreamed of going.
0: Um, so I love the game again now, but it, it was a long time coming. So you've got that love back for the football. Yeah you're on top of the domestic scene in boxing. Given the experience that you've had in both sports, how would you compare the two of them as sports and businesses? Well, I think the the last thing you said then kind of
1: hits a nail on the head. When when I first started playing football, it was just about playing football. As I got into it, I started to realise more and more that this was a business. You know, you got treated like a piece of meat, um, which I found like, I just wanted to play, you know, can we just play football and everything seemed to be about money, contracts, endorsements, agents. And I just completely took my eye off what I was actually there for, and that was three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah. And It's the same, similar with boxing, you know, but because I'm older now and wiser and I'm, I'm not, as, as football, when I was young, so when someone did something wrong or I felt like they were trying to, you know, Hoodwink me and try and make me sign these contracts out there, financial gain. I took it personally, so I'm like, "How can you do this to me, I'm a young kid? You're trying to rip me off." Whereas boxing, you know, I'm 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 going to it completely. With my eyes open. 34. You know, I've been around the block a little bit, so I treat it what it is. You know, boxing is a business, but I also love what I'm doing. You know, I love um, I love getting in there, I love fighting, I love competing. But my eyes are open a little bit more through life experiences, I suppose. So it doesn't. Um, I don't take it personally anymore.
0: Like I say it's strictly business. And arriving at that pinnacle is one of the most remarkable sports stories anybody could ever script. If they scripted it, they'd probably say it's fanciful and far-fetched. So when you get that opportunity, having already lost down at lightweight to Derry Matthews in a title shot, when you get the opportunity to fight Darren Hamilton, who's got a remarkable story himself, for the light welterweight title, how much confidence did you carry into the fight? What level of belief? What level of certainty? That it was going to be your night and you would maximise and capitalise on the opportunity.
1: I knew I was going to win 100%. I told Darren in the build up all the way through that, you know, you can, there's loads of fighters out there that can beat me. You ain't going to beat Destiny. And I believed it was my destiny to become British champion. I told Darren at the press conference, told Spencer Fearing at the press conference eight weeks before the fight that they were going to get beat. And they were telling me that the fight was a joke, it was a complete mismatch, Darren was going to take me apart. I knew I was going to beat him. You know, cause like I said, I believe my whole life was, I've always, like I said, I've got big ego. You know, and part of my arrogance is I always believed that I was going to achieve something great. And I always thought it was going to be in the world of football. And um, people might think I achieved something great in football by making it, but I underachieved hugely with the, with the talent I had. So for me, I underachieved, but I always knew that I was going to achieve something great. And I believe destiny with what happened and I just knew it was going to be. To become, without sounding overly arrogant, what becoming British champion and what I've achieved will never, ever be done again. You know, I went to go and watch Sheffield United in the FA Cup semi-final and I played in an FA Cup semi-final myself. And to picture one of them to win the British title within 28 fights as well, it ain't never going to be done again. So I knew I, I had something in me. I knew I was going to achieve something great. And I told told Darren and told Spencer that this was my destiny. I knew I was going to win. Is that arrogant? Yeah, probably. Am I arrogant? Yeah, a little bit, you know. <laughs> but I just knew it was my destiny and they weren't going to beat me. And um, I knew I was willing to go and do whatever needed to be done to win. And I got down into the trenches in the last three or four rounds and he didn't want to be there. And that's why I won. Finished strong. Wanted it more than him on the night. And, um, I did it, no matter what anyone says, the history books will say, February 22nd, I create history and I don't ever believe it'll be done again.
0: You talk about your willingness to do anything to get the victory and the fact that you were willing to go into the trenches in the latter part of the fight. How much did the promise that you made to your father contribute to that willingness to do anything to get the victory and fulfil the promise you made to your dad that you would become a British boxing champion?
1: Well, I believe that was all part of the destiny, like like I spoke about. And, um, you know, I'll never forget the day I got a phone call. Um, I was in Rotherham. I was walking around Rotherham Town Centre. I'd just finished training, got a phone call um, telling me to get to hospital as soon as possible. Um, that My dad was going to die and there was, there was nothing they could do. He'd had a stroke and had a bleed on the brain. The bleed was that big that they couldn't operate on it. Um, so it, it was just a case of going to hospital and waiting for him to die and there was nothing we could do. Um, so I remember sitting by his bedside and kind of thanking him for everything he'd done for me in the past. You know, when growing up, we never had any money. Um, you just have to beg, steal and borrow for petrol to get to football trials, to football games and things like that. But that always made sure that I got there by hook or by crook. Um, so I just thanked him for all of that and I promised him that... You know, that I'd become British champion. And like I said, every promise my dad ever made me, he always kept. You know, I remember that as a young kid. If if he promised us we were going to the seaside, we were going to the seaside. Even even if we had to go with nothing, we'd go there. So once I made that promise, there was no way I was gonna break it. And if it meant me fighting until I was fifty years old, then I'd be fighting until I was fifty, I was gonna win that British title. Um so yeah, it it um it played a big part. And like I said if my dad was still alive now, I probably wouldn't be British champion because I'd have probably walked away with the setbacks I'd had. It'd have been easier to walk away because I'd not made that promise, but we're making that promise. It just gave me that extra steely determination to go wherever and do whatever needed to be do- done to win. And like I said, um, when I make a promise,
0: I keep it. And I did it. So just take us back and relive the experience of what it felt like when the MC on the night said, and the new, yeah. those immortal three words that every championship contender wants to hear. You heard it going in your favor. What was that moment like for you when you were crowned as British champion?
1: Yeah, unbelievable. It's something I'll never will never ever ever forget. It was the the greatest uh, the greatest moment of my life by a mile. You know, any sport in a, anything in sport I've ever done that was absolute. it was nowhere near what happened February 22nd. I even tell my wife, you know, I've had three kids, being married, <laughs> and still that was the greatest night of my life, you know, and she, she, she says, what about your kids? I'm like, yeah, I love my kids, but listen, this was special. Uh, she hates me for it, but yeah, I'm just being honest. Um, so it was just the greatest thing because, like I said, it was so, when I first put on the pair of gloves, I was ranked 147th in Britain out of 147, and I was there on merit because I was the worst, you know, I'm not going to lie, um, so to then to be crowned, british champion just meant everything because everything i have had to go through to get there um so yeah it's something i'll never ever forget and the great thing is i speak to people stop me in the street all the time that were at the fight in the arena saying it brought them to tears and how it inspired them and it's just great that that my story and what i've done has touched so many people in different ways it makes me feel good about myself because like i said for so many years as a footballer i kind of just felt bad about myself and what how my life's turned out so to kind of spin that around full circle and to be inspiring people you know it makes me feel good about myself
0: so now that the love is back for football yeah and you're sitting here as a british champion what remaining ambitions do you have in the sport of boxing and what unfinished business or remaining ambitions do you have in football yeah like i've told everyone um because I'm a boxing
1: fan and I, I love boxing I love bo- the boxing history I've followed boxing you know all the way back I watched all great champions and I've told them that my career will probably end like 99% of the other fighters careers ends flat on my back or flat on my face you know I, I want to keep going until I find you know I ain't got no more to give um have reached the maximum level I can get to. Now where that is, I don't know yet. You know, I'm gonna keep going. I wanna fight other champions out there and try and win other belts and go as far as I can, you know. So with the boxing, who knows? You know, whoever thought I'd be set as British champion. So I'm, I never write anything off. Um, I'm also the manager of Google AFC. That's something I want to go into after I've hung my gloves up. I'd like to become or go into football management. It's something that I've got a passion for and I believe um, I'm gonna do a good job at, hopefully inspiring young people, kids, that. because I believe that football management isn't always about tactics, you don't need to be a tactical genius, it's sometimes about having a group of lads all pulling in the same direction and hopefully I can inspire a team along the way to gain a couple of promotions and build up my reputation as a, as a good football manager, I'd like to give that a go. Um, there's loads of things I want to do, you know, like I said to you earlier when people call me deluded, I take it as a compliment, so there's loads of things I want to do. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing I can't do. There's no, you know, it, that, well, there's a lot of things I can't do. But sport-wise, I believe that you know, there's loads of things I can I can give. You know, football, boxing, coaching. I like working with young kids. So, where's my oyster?
0: Well, that's just about it for this edition of the Body Shots Boxing Podcast. I'd like to offer my sincere thanks to Curtis Woodhouse for sharing his story and to Dave Caldwell and everyone at Caldwell Boxing for all of their fantastic assistance. Remember, you can reach me on Twitter, at macintoshronald or on my Facebook page. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the program, so please do get in touch. But until next time, thanks for listening, and be sure to stay abreast of social media for updates and information about the next episode of The Body Shots boxing podcast. podcast podcast